Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. September is PAD Awareness Month, and the conversation continues with Deborah Interventional Cardiologist Dr. Vincent Varghese about the symptoms and risk factors for peripheral artery disease. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, and we're continuing our discussion of peripheral artery disease, or PAD, with Deborah Heart and Lung Center Interventional Cardiologist Dr. Vincent Varghese. If you heard the first part of this conversation, you know PAD often presents with leg pain on exercise, that it would be a real shame to ignore because untreated PAD could cost you that aching leg if the blood flow is so impaired that gangrene sets in. How can that happen? More importantly, how can you make sure it doesn't? We're getting into more on diagnosing and treating PAD and preventing it even if you have risk factors. Dr. Varghese says family history is one of them. It can definitely be hereditary in the same way that heart disease can be hereditary. So, you know, uh, 40-year-old, we see 35, 39-year-old people having heart attacks uh, because their parents also had heart attacks around that age. So a lot of times it's, it's undiagnosed risks. So, for example, uh, if we have people that are younger that have heart attacks, a lot of times we check their cholesterol and their numbers are through the roof. And it's likely because their parents also had the same genetic issue with the cholesterol, but it just wasn't diagnosed. So in the same setting, arteries being blocked in the heart can be affecting the legs as well. So you can definitely have young people that have um, hereditary component. But I, I think if it's enough to limit what you've been doing normally, and again, even if it was five years ago, you could walk up the stairs without a problem and now you're struggling and you don't have a diagnosis, it's definitely worth getting looked at by a, a clinician, a specialist, whether it's your primary doctor or seeing a vascular specialist. Any one of those doctors should be able to kind of start off in making a diagnosis and at least getting some testing done. And the testing is really pretty simple to, to diagnose PAD or not. So as simple as an ultrasound or some blood pressure cuff testing, and it could change someone's life. So first you gotta find it. So how do you test? How do you narrow it down? So it always starts off with a really good history and physical exam, feeling for the pulses, lack of pulses, looking for wounds, looking at the feet real intensely to make sure there's no skin breakdown. We have tests. We use typically ultrasounds or blood pressure cuff tests. We can look at blood pressure cuff tests are called ankle brachial indices, ultrasound of the legs to kind of look at the arteries and see how open they are or blocked. And then we have things like CAT scans and MRAs that we can look at to see the blood flow using uh, radiology and see what's going on. So, so far I haven't heard anything that sounds invasive. Not yet. We're getting there. Oh, yay! <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, ultimately if, if the testing is abnormal as far as the arteries go with the ultrasound and blood pressure cuff testing, then we move on to the next stage, which is angiogram. And angiogram has the benefit of kind of being the gold standard of checking the arteries and making sure they're open or not. And if they're blocked, then while we're there, we can potentially offer some uh, therapeutic measures to open the arteries up. So treatment goals and treatment options. Really, we start off, for the most part, doing an angiogram. So we'll look at the arteries and see what's going on. If there's something we can address safely, whether it be with balloons, stents, drilling out plaque, clearing out the plaque in the leg arteries, that's what we typically do first. Even under the diagnostic situation, yeah. you can start treating. Yeah, under most circumstances, that's what we do. Unless there's something really where we don't think we can get to it safely or it's a bit more of a discussion where we think surgery may be a better option, I'd say like 90, 95% of the time when we go in there for an angiogram, a diagnostic angiogram, and there's a problem, 
we can switch over to an interventional procedure and just start fixing the problem there. Is a patient aware of all of this at the time? Sort of. You know, we, we do what's called moderate sedation or conscious sedation. So we give them some medication to keep them comfortable. We can typically give a little bit more sedation than we would for a heart procedure. So we try to keep people comfortable, but we still want to be able to talk to them a little bit and let them know what we're finding. Um, and if there are plans to go ahead and fix something, talk to them first about it and go ahead and do it. So even if they've been a little sedated, you're going to say, uh, we found something. It's okay if we, uh, we do a little rotor-rooter here for you? Yeah, well, we get consents before the procedure <laughs> to make say. sure everyone's on the same page. <laughs> but while we're doing it, we'll talk to them about it. Okay, sure. but it's, so that would be the invasive diagnostic, but also yeah. slash treatment. Correct. Okay, so treatment goals then are to restore someone back to, I don't know, running marathons or mm -hmm. not being uncomfortable going up mm -hmm. and down the stairs or mm -hmm. what, what are the goals? All those are goals. I think the only reason to go to an angiogram is if someone has lifestyle, we say lifestyle limiting claudication or lifestyle limiting symptoms where they can't do what they want to do normally. And so that would really be our goal, to restore them back to what they would want to do on a day-to-day -day basis, whether that's running or walking or just going to the grocery store. Those are all realistic goals that we try to achieve. How much does overall a sedentary lifestyle contribute to something like PAD? A lot, because sedentary lifestyles eventually lead to obesity. That'll affect your blood pressure. That'll affect your cholesterol. It's a risk of type 2 diabetes if you're obese. So, you know, that along with your genetics, which... You know, if you have a parent who had diabetes or heart disease, then chances are you'll be at risk of developing it as well. So staying sedentary is kind of a setup for developing PAD. It's an interventional procedure, not a surgical procedure, or Correct. what's yeah. that line? Yeah, interventional procedures, which is what I perform. You know, we call it a procedure, not a surgery, because we really don't do any cutting or sewing or anything like that. We go through the arteries, typically the femoral artery. We put a little microcatheter inside of there to gain access to it. And then we use wires and catheters and balloons and stents to open up these arteries. So after the procedure, if we can put a little vascular plug in or just take the IV out and hold some pressure, patients typically stay overnight and then go home the next day as long as they feel okay. So it's a pretty rapid recovery. Surgery, which is obviously still done a lot, has its place, of course, for really extensive disease or severe blockages in, in major arteries. But, you know, I think for the most part, when you're talking about PAD, a lot of this now can be approached with endovascular or minimally invasive techniques with interventional. So, you know, even if you talk to a vascular surgeon, I think a lot of times they'll say they would approach a blockage with an endovascular approach first because the recovery can be so much easier for patients. And, you know, like you said, with diabetes, the healing process with the surgery, that can be prolonged and have complications. So really, really want to avoid getting to that point where surgery is the only option. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd always try to do things minimally invasive first. At the same time, keeping surgery an option, if, if it's the right thing to do for somebody, you send them for surgery. Can it be a, a stubborn diagnostic process? I mean, do some people just present just so strangely or variably that um, you're using every diagnostic tool you have? What would yeah. that be like? There can be gray areas for sure, and that's sort of when the, the art of medicine comes in and making a clinical decision. I think an important thing is to be upfront and realistic with your patient and letting them know, you know, look, nothing else is really coming as a cause for your leg pain, except maybe this. And it's not a slam dunk, but I think it's worth, if it's safe, to go and open up an artery, 
to put a stent in or clean out plaque and then see how they do. I've definitely had cases where that was the case and patients actually did remarkably well and better after the artery was opened. There are questionable uh, cases sometimes, but that's where you have to kind of make a decision with the patient. But if somebody prolongs getting help for chronic leg pain, the complications can be? Enormous, they can be very bad. I mean, the, the spectrum on the far end of the spectrum, if you have someone that has untreated PAD that is severe, you can have amputation of the leg below the knee or above the knee amputation. And in and of itself can increase a person's mortality because we know you know, someone has an amputation in the leg, they're at high risk of having the other leg amputated as well, and at high risk of dying over the next five years. So all those things are really important to realize when you're dealing with someone with PAD. Limb amputation typically is gonna be at a point when we have nothing left to offer. And so these arteries can get blocked. These arteries can get blocked to the point where we don't have anything to offer, to be honest. If it's blocked arteries in the foot, they're really small vessels that we can't get balloons and stents into, we can't bypass it. Patients have open sores or wounds or toes that are black, then there's no option except to take the limb or take the toe or part of the foot. So, so the, the key to that really is, again, prevention, but the key is also getting recognized and treated early because the earlier we get these um, cases of critical limb ischemia or necrotic black toes, the earlier we can intervene and hopefully the less we have to amputate. So as opposed to taking off below the knee amputation, we can just maybe take a toe. So that's a huge impact on someone's life um, over time. How long can you go before you get to that point of no return yeah. where your interventions are no longer effective and you have to send them to a surgeon for an amputation? Yeah, there, there's no real, uh, you know, everyone progresses differently. So some people may have steady disease for years and some people may progress within months. And, and they all start off at different points also. So we may see someone who has diabetes and has just a one narrowed portion of the artery, which we can fix pretty simply. And we may see another patient with diabetes the same age who has extensive blockage in the arteries all the way down to the foot. So there's really no rhyme or reason, but um, we definitely know that um, the earlier you get diagnosed, the better chance you have of minimizing the risk of amputation. Can I reduce or reverse my risk for PAD? Absolutely, yeah, you can, you can definitely change your risk. Um, the biggest risk factors are definitely smoking, modifiable risk factor for sure. People that smoke, if you stop smoking immediately, it will change your trajectory by a lot. Controlling blood pressure, controlling blood sugars if you have diabetes, cholesterol checks, making sure the cholesterol is in good, good condition. And the biggest thing is, again, like we talked about lifestyle. So exercise, diet, those are huge factors that people can do to change whether they get PAD or not. Diet is so important. You know, we, we talk about sticking to a, a modified Mediterranean diet, which is something you can kind of search online, but it's making healthy lifestyle choices, I think, when it comes to diet, and then exercise plays a big role with that too. Alcohol? Alcohol, you know, in moderation, right? I mean, certainly alcohol is not gonna be good for different things. It's toxic to the heart muscle, can hurt your liver. Does it directly cause PAD? Probably not, but it's definitely not gonna help the situation. So why should someone seek treatment at Deborah for PAD? Or mm -hmm. what they're worried might be PAD? 
Yeah, I, I think um, part of the part of what makes Deborah special is that we are all employed by Deborah. We're all working here at the Institute, and we are all very subspecialized. So, for example, I do procedures four out of the five days in a given week. So, what that translates into is that I have a lot more time to dedicate for a procedure, whereas another private physician may only have an hour or so to dedicate to a procedure we can spend hours in there trying to open up arteries. So because that time dedication, because we're specialized, we do this every day, um, you know, we, we, we really focus and kind of hone our skill um, to the benefit of our patients so that we can get these arteries opened. Maybe other centers can't do this so well and have our patients do well. Are you working on any PAD clinical research? Yes, yeah, we have a number of trials going on uh, predominantly for the lower extremities. We have a trial hopefully coming online soon for a drug-coated balloon uh, for the arteries in the thigh, as well as trials for stents and balloons below the knee as well. Um, so there's still a lot of exploration and research needed in this disease. So we don't have it all figured out, but the technology is getting better and better as time goes on. Are you seeing more PAD? I mean, because we're, you know, we're living longer mm-hmm. or, or maybe we've been sitting out the pandemic or whatever, but yeah. is, is PAD increasing among our population? I think it is. I think it is. I think just like heart disease, PAD, you know, unfortunately, life is getting easier in a lot of ways. We have technology and computers and cars. And so a sedentary lifestyle is not that unusual. And, and fast food being so readily available and, and easy not to kind of stay in shape and easy not to adhere to a good diet. So we still see a lot of heart disease. We see a lot of peripheral arterial disease and, and it's getting recognized earlier as well, which is good, uh, but we're recognizing it more. That was Deborah interventional cardiologist, Dr. Vincent Varghese. Our next podcast drops the first Wednesday of the month and you can find out all about it at DeborahHealthReport.com. I'm Rasa Kay. See you then. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah Doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at DemandDeborah.org.